Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, we are looking at your word to us today. And uh, it's about our words. And so we pray that you would hear what you have to say to us about the way that we speak. Help us to honestly uh, evaluate uh, our words and give us the strength and the desire to actually speak words that uh, would build others up and encourage them and that would bring praise to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things we're in this series in the book of James, and one of the things James is trying to show us is that it's not enough just to say that you're a Christian. You know, we're in, in the South, obviously, uh, and, and I don't know what the statistics are, but I imagine if you went around and started asking people, are you a Christian or not, without really defining what that meant exactly, that you'd probably get 80% or more people would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I, I, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, all these sorts of things. And, and James would say, okay, you like Christianity, you're favorably inclined to Christianity, well, let me ask you something. Uh, what role does the, does the Word of God play in your life? Has the Word of God actually come into your life and changed your life in such a way that it was like being born all over again? Has the Word of God changed you? Do you willingly and gladly receive the Word of God when you are instructed by it? Do you do what it says when the Bible tells you something? And in particular, uh, James, at the end of of chapter 1, asks us to think about whether the Word has affected us in three particular areas. Uh, He asks us to think about whether it's affected us in the way we treat widows and orphans, the the have-nots of society. He asks us to think about whether the Word has affected our moral purity, the way we, we interact with a world that doesn't take the Word of God very seriously often. And he talks about that in chapter 4. And then in chapter 3, he he talks about um, how has the Word of God affected the way that you talk? So how does it affect the way you treat the have-nots? How has it affected your moral purity? And how has it affected your speech? 
what's the fruit of the Word of God in your life? And so James is saying here in chapter 3, your words matter. The things that you say matter. In fact, he, he starts off here, and I don't know if he does this to get our attention, but it certainly gets mine, uh, because I decided as I was studying this, you know, everybody has their favorite verse in the Bible. I now have my least favorite verse in the Bible. Um, because this is what he says in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Great, great. Um, okay, well, I'm not going to say anything else today. That's, that's what I feel like doing. Uh, now, what does he mean when he says this? What's, what's, what's James getting at when he says this? You know, I don't know... Um, what would it be like if seminaries started using this as their slogan? Okay, instead of Reformed Theological Seminary, a mind for truth and a heart for God. What if they said Reformed Theological Seminary, not many of you should be teachers? All right, I think that would weed a lot of people out. Uh, or maybe it would just attract all the proud people. I don't, I don't know what that would do. What's he getting at? Well, teachers are, of the Word of God are in a position... Uh, of being responsible for the spiritual welfare of the people that they are teaching. They're taking the word of God and they're saying, look, here's the word of, not the word of just some dude, this is the word of God, and this is how it applies to your life. And this is how you ought to live in light of what the word of God says. And that's a big deal. Uh, Whether you're preaching, whether you're teaching a Sunday school class, whether you're leading your family in devotions, uh, teaching the Word of God is a big deal. Uh, y- your teaching is going to influence the people that you are teaching for good or for bad. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's inescapable. You can't get out from under it. You know, I, I think sometimes you could go to different churches with our, within our denomination and you can get pretty close to guessing what seminary the guy went to by listening to his teaching. Now, why is that? Well, a lot of the reason is because of the teachers that he set under. The people who teach you exert this, this inescapable influence on your life. There, there's no way around it. And so teachers of the Bible are given this responsibility to study the Word of God so then they can instruct others accurately, so that they can rightly handle uh, the Word of truth. You know, if, if you're a brain surgeon... And um, you slack off in, and I don't know, if you slack off in brain class um, or whatever you study for that, and then you go into to surgery, right, somebody's going to hold you responsible for that. Right? You don't just get a pass on that. Well, I, I skipped that class. Uh, if you're teaching the Word of God, God holds you responsible for what you're teaching, for the message that you communicate. Now, does this mean then that while everybody else is saved by grace, that teachers are saved by the quality of their teaching? Um, no. Uh, that's not the case at all. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whether you're a teacher, a preacher, or whatever you are. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But while the Bible's careful to say that, that we are saved by faith and not by works, it also says that we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, Romans 14, verse 12 says that each one of us will have to give an account of himself to God. And teachers aren't immune from that. In fact, I think 
James is saying you'll have to give a more accurate, a more strict accounting will have to be given. This is the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire, only by the skin of your teeth. And so James is saying, be careful about wanting to be a teacher. Be careful about wanting to somebody who is in a position of using a lot of words. Now, why does he bring this up? Well, it could be uh, that the role of teacher was a very prestigious role in Jewish culture. It was a big deal if your child was going to be a rabbi. That was a celebrated thing. And James is warning people, don't get caught up in all that hype. Because what you're doing when you become a teacher is you're actually getting in a position that's going to be judged more strictly. You're getting in a position where you're going to use a lot of words. And the words that you use actually have eternal consequences in people's lives. Your words matter. And so I I think his point is then, I know you honor your teachers, but you need to realize that those teachers are going to be judged more strictly because they use a lot of words, and those words have an impact on people's lives, and it's hard for us to use words well. Words matter. It's kind of his case in point. Words matter. Well, why do they matter so much? Why do our words matter so much? Well, they matter so much because they're powerful. And James uses a handful of illustrations here. He uses an example of putting a bit in the mouth of a horse, of a rudder steering a ship, and of a small spark setting on fire a great blaze in a forest. And he's basically saying small things can have this disproportional Influence and your tongue is like that. It's this very small thing in comparison to the rest of your body, but it exerts this powerful influence. It affects it affects your life and it affects the lives of the people around you. Uh, listen to these two sets of words and think about how they affected people when they were spoken, and they still affect people when you hear them. Here's the first one. In the name of the greatest people that ever trod this earth, I draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny, and I say, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. That's George Wallace when he was inaugurated governor of Alabama in January of 1963. Listen to this set of words. I have a dream... And this is excerpts from a speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a desert state sweltering with the heat of injustice and oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. 
I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. This is Martin Luther King Jr., August of 1963. Same year. Same year. Two very different uh, sets of words which exerted powerful influence for different reasons on the people who heard those. Maybe that's two sixties for you. Think, think, of, think of these sets of words in your own life. Will you marry me? Yes. Will you marry me? No. Uh, I do. Think of, think of the power of those words in your life and that, how they have shaped your very life and perhaps where you are even uh, today. We've all been affected by words. Words are powerful. Uh, you've been affected by other people's words. Maybe you've been encouraged by somebody's words. You're encouraged by a, a coach's halftime speech or by the words of a teacher or by a parent who encouraged you, you know, don't, don't give up. Keep trying. It, it's going to be okay. Uh, you've been negatively impacted by other people's words. You're fat or you're stupid. You're, you're, you're worthless. I hate you. You know, we, we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt you. That's just not true. It's not true. Words have a powerful effect in our lives. We've all been affected by other people's words, and our words have affected and still affect other people. The way you speak to your parents, the way you speak to your children, uh, the words, the way we speak, the words that we use matter. The way you speak to the people who are have-nots. Uh, young people, the way, have you ever joined in with other, others in making fun of someone else? Think of the power of your words to hurt that person. And put yourself in the shoes of the one who's being hurt. When you're having a family discussion slash argument slash fight, um, is your goal... To use your words to encourage the other person, to love the other person, or is your goal simply to win the argument? Our words matter. Even our words on Facebook and Twitter, they're not like immune. Um, our words, the things that we say, matter. But it's not just other people that our words affect. Your words affect you. right? Your own words affect you. Now, when you take an angry thought, right? It's kind of rumbling around up here. And then you clothe it in a word, and you do that over and over again. You actually give sort of a power to your anger. And you become a more angry person. Uh, you think about the Breaking Bad fans, the, the three of you. Um, if, if, if you've seen, or the ones that will admit it, if you've, if you've seen that show, you know, Tuco, the, the, the drug dealer, he's kind of angry. He likes to beat people up. But he never does that without talking. There's always a jabbering that gets that anger going. Your, your words have a power even over you. And it's not just the words that we say. Uh, it's, it's our self-talk. It's kind of going on inside our head. Those, that talk that's often negative and discouraging. I'm no good. I'll never get this right. I'm such a loser. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that one of our main problems is we spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. 
Now, what did he mean by that? Well, what he's saying is instead of just kind of receiving those words that naturally pop up in our lives, this is never going to work, I'm no good, just kind of that negative, negative talk, I'm worthless, I'm, I'm such a wretch. He says that we ought to do what the psalmist actually does. Uh, in Psalm 42, the psalmist says, and, and listen, because he's, he's actually talking to himself as he's in the midst of praying. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's like, he's talking to himself, like quit, quit all this negative self-talk. Hope in God. See how he's talking to himself instead of simply listening to the thoughts that bubble up. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. See, the, the psalmist recognizes that even the words that we vocalize to ourselves are powerful. They're powerful to affect us. And so our words matter because they're powerful. Well, there's another reason in this text that our words matter. And it's in verse 9. Uh, talking about the tongue, it says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Our words matter because the people we direct our words toward are actually made in the very image and likeness of God. The people around you are not just evolved mud. Uh, they're not just groups of random cells that bumped into each other and some formed a cockroach and some formed a frog and some formed a bacteria and some... Oh, look at that, a person. Uh, human beings, like nothing else in all creation, are actually made in the very image and likeness of God. And therefore, they have a dignity that no other created thing has. Every person that, that you run into for the rest of your life is a person that's made in the very image of God. The people we get angry at, the people we make fun of, the people we write off, the people we ignore, those are, are image bearers of the God of all creation. Francis Schaeffer once wrote a book called No Little People. And you can kind of see how that connects. No Little People. And he said this, our attitude toward all men should be that of equality because we are common creatures. We are of one blood and kind. As I look across all the world, I must see every man as a fellow creature, and I must be careful to have a sense of our equality on the basis of this common status. We must be careful in our thinking not to try to stand in the place of God to other men. We are fellow creatures. We are fellow creatures made in the image and likeness of of God himself. Uh, the people that we don't want to let in in traffic, <laughs> that we get so frustrated with when we're, when we're driving, the people we lash out at verbally, the people we run down on Facebook, uh, all of these people, no matter who they are, bear the image and the likeness of God. And we should speak to them and about them as those who are made in the image of God. So our words matter because our words are powerful and they affect us and they affect other people. Our words matter because the people we are speaking to are people who are made in the image and likeness of God. And then finally James says here, our words matter because they reveal who we really are. Our words show who we really are. Look at verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh 
water. Uh, James is pointing out this problem with blessing and with cursing coming from the same mouth. We bless God and we go out and, and curse men. And he says, that's like olives growing on a fig tree. Or that's like uh, salt water or a salt pond producing fresh water. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be that way. And, you know, at some point you have to ask yourself, uh, if, if this tree, if this is really an apple tree, why isn't it producing any apples? What's, what's going on with this tree? Why is it bearing apples? Our words show what's really going on in our hearts. And, you know, we can come in here and, and we can kind of put on our, our Sunday morning uh, best, our best attitude and, and, and smile and all that stuff, and we can hide from each other a lot of who we really are. But what about the people that you see every day? What about people that see you every day? The, the people who see you in stressful situations. Who would they say you are? If, if we were to follow you around this week, not even with a video camera, okay, I know that would be easy to do, but not even with a video camera. We're just going to use a tape recorder, if you can remember what those are. Uh, we're just going to tape the things you say this week to the people around you. What would that reveal about who you are? Our words matter. They matter because they're powerful. They affect us. They affect other people. Uh, they reveal who they are. Excuse me. They reveal who we are, and they matter because other people matter. People are made in the image of God, and so what we say to them matters. And so kind of the message then of this from James is, in light of all that, we need to control our tongues. We need to control our speech, our words. Now, in, in fact, and this is, this is the verse that kind of set all this up in chapter 1, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. How's everybody feeling right now? Um, you know, how does this affect you? There's a, um, and I'll put this in the newsletter this week, there's a discipleship program called Sonship that's one of the things it's known for is this little exercise called the tongue exercise. Uh, and, and in some ways, part of the prayer of confession was, was based off of that this morning. But what they do is they give you a list of things to do and to not to do over the week and then come back Let's see how you're doing in terms of your speech. But I want to do it just real quick. I want you to think about this. Here are things you're not to do. Don't do these. Don't gossip. For the rest of the week, don't gossip. In other words, don't confess someone else's sins. All right? Don't gossip. Number two, don't complain about anything. All right? Is everybody ready to quit now? <laughs> I thought I might slide by on the first one, maybe, but say, I'm just kind of toast now. Um, number three, don't blame, shift, or make excuses. Number four, don't defend yourself. Number five, don't boast about anything. All right, now here's, here's what you, should, you, you are to do. Uh, number one, speak only good about others. Number two... Thank God for his plan for your life. Number three, admit it when you're wrong or when you sin. 
Number four, rejoice. You're worse than you think. <laughs> number five, this continues from the, from the number five of the previous set. Don't boast about anything except in your weakness. Don't boast about anything except in your weakness. Now, how are you doing? <laughs> you don't even, don't even take a week, does it? Um, you can get through that pretty quickly. Our words, our words matter. Our words matter, and so we need to watch what we say. But, would you look at what else James says here? Kind of scattered through this passage. He says, we all stumble in many ways. He says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So you kind of read this and you're like, well, okay, James, what do you want me to do exactly? You're telling me to control my tongue, but you're also telling me that I can't control my tongue. What do you do? And and he he does kind of leave you hanging there. I I know I need to, but I can't, and I'm so inconsistent with this. Um, He leaves you hanging until you get to chapter 4. And then in chapter 4, later in the passage, he starts saying things like this. And and listen to these words from James. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. So, in light of that, let me just suggest four things. Four things to do if we're going to control our impossible to control tongue. Here's the first one. Uh, Number one, we need to realize that God cares about our words. God actually does care about our words. They actually matter to Him. Number two, our words really do reveal our hearts. You know, when we're angry and we're crabby, it's not because we haven't had enough sleep. It's not because we haven't had enough to eat. That anger was there the whole time. And the situation that we're in has simply revealed what's actually down in our hearts, what was there to start with. And so we need to start by humbling ourselves and admitting that, owning up to that. And there I even say, as James says here, weeping over our words. Weeping over our words. Uh, You might need to to sit down even this afternoon and think about some of the things you've said to or about other people. Uh, and, And you may need to sit down and think about that and repent. Repent to God and repent to them as well. Go to them. Uh, There may be people you need to humble yourself before today and confess that you've actually used your words to harm them and not to do them good. You have to humble yourself to do that. The third thing we need to do is to draw near to God. Draw near to God. Now that may seem kind of, I mean, I don't know if I want to do that, uh, knowing what he's like and then knowing what I'm like. How can I actually draw near to Him? I can draw near to Him because He drew near to me in the Word. In Jesus Christ. That's what the Gospel of John calls Jesus, is the Word of God. 
God in the flesh comes near to me in the person of Jesus Christ so that He can bear my sinful words, the cost of my sinful words on the cross, to bear my impatient words and my angry words and my deceptive words and my gossiping and my hurtful words. Jesus has come near to me to bear the cost of my words. He's loved me in spite of my words. He's come close to me so that I can now draw near to Him and be healed. And then finally, drawing near to God is something you just don't do once. Like, okay, I did that last Thursday. Um, We continually draw near to God. We continually come into His presence. As you take up the Word, as you utter words, as you pray and speak to God over and over again, you'll become someone who more and more uh, praises God with your words. And here's how, it's, how it works. The more you're near God, the more you bathe in the gospel, as it were, the more you'll see Him for who He is. And the more you see Him for who He is, the more you'll praise Him. And the more you praise Him, the less you'll actually curse other people. Uh, when we go home to Alabama to, to my parents' house, Susan always says that when we get there, the lower Alabama comes out in me. Uh, now, that may mean a lot of things, but um, one of is is that I, I start talking more Southern when I go home. I guess down there, they're true Southerners, I'm like here. But um, when I'm in their presence, it affects my speech. It affects the way that I talk. I can't help it. If you'll draw near to God, if you'll spend time in His presence, if you'll practice as if you're always living in His presence, it'll change your speech. It can't help but change your speech. Draw near to God, and He'll heal you. He'll even heal your words. Let's pray together. Father, you know uh, my heart, you know my sin, Uh, everything is laid bare before you, Uh, you know my sinful thoughts and my sinful words. Uh, Father, you know that about all of us. Uh, And so, Father, I pray that you would cause us to take our words seriously, that you really would humble us over the way we have used words to wound and to harm others, the way we have been careless with our speech. Uh, Father, show us that there is forgiveness and healing in Christ. And Father, as we draw near to you, as you have drawn near to us, uh, would you change our words? And would you help us indeed to speak as you would have us to speak? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.